and here we go welcome to death do us part podcast hosted by jamie hello my wife and myself mark hello and welcome again so i feel like i still sound like marge's fucking sister from the simpsons oh my god you do i don't know what's going on with that give me another vape yeah Mm. i don't know what's going on with my boys but take another puff uh fuck off Mm. yeah how's that sound okay you know what these new shut up mark you're pissing me off i think these ear pads sound funny maybe i'll switch them back they look comfy though they are comfy but i'm too lazy to switch mine yeah well i would be the one doing it anyways so yeah yeah. true um okay so this one we talked about doing we said we were gonna do it um i tried to get it out as soon as i could so it's uh i feel like it's one that's a little near and dear to mark's heart so you're probably going to be hearing his voice a little bit more than normal and we are aware that probably there's not going to be a lot of wrestling pro wrestling fans listening to this right and probably a lot of people that aren't aware of this story but it is so crazy it it, it, i feel like it needs to be heard yeah yeah um because i mean just because he was a pro wrestler i feel like he could have been any other athlete oh absolutely you know football player and yeah absolutely so so we are going to be doing the tragic deaths of chris nancy and daniel benoit um i'll just trigger warning it does have a child murder in it obviously um i will also say that i i cut it down i mean a lot i i have 17 pages and that's me cutting it down (laughs) i didn't put in all of the matches that were noted when i looked up you know his history and his research and everything so there's so many there's thousands upon thousands of matches that i didn't mention and even even just the ones that were cited during the research there's still i mean there's hundreds that i couldn't cite otherwise we'd be here for days yeah but there is a significant amount of fights that i'm not mentioning matches excuse me that i'm not mentioning and that's probably just in the united states i mean he wrestled in japan yeah had crazy matches over there yeah so. so there's a there's a ton. I mean, he wrestled for years. Yeah, that's all he did. So, so Chris Benoit is who we're going to be talking about, actually. So, he was a professional wrestler um, until 2007. Yeah. He, Mark watched him growing up. I watched him growing up, like, yeah, in high school. He was a fan favorite. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean if you watch pro wrestling, you, you knew who Chris, you know who he is. Chris Benoit was. Yeah. So, you want to just get started? Yeah. Okay. So, Chris Benoit was born... Oh, by the way, um, I didn't have time to type this up, so it's going to be reminiscent of the first one where you hear all my papers shuffling, but... Oh, dear Lord. I numbered the papers, so Thank I wouldn't... Thank the Lord, because <laughs> I already have to put up with your voice, and <laughs> it, now your papers? Jesus. You're such a dick. Where's Teresa? Teresa will come deal with my papers. Mark, just mm-hmm. leave my papers alone and give me a vape. Anyways... So, Chris Benoit was I born. Love you. <laughs> you better. Christopher Michael Benoit on May 21st, 1967, in Montreal, Quebec. 
He was born to Michael and Margaret Benoit and has one sibling by the name of Lori, who I believe is older than he is. He grew up in Edmonton, Alberta. And according to his father, he was Canada. obsessed hey. with becoming a wrestler from a young age. Did you get that out of your system? I did. Okay, good. Um, so he went to a wrestling show at 12 and two people stood out above everybody else to him. And then he began idolizing them. It was Tom Dynamite Kid Billington and Bret Hart. Everybody knows Bret Hart. Yep. So and Dynamite Kid. How could you yeah, not know? Huh? And he, tragic story with him, too. I don't even know what happened with him. Uh, that's a tragic story, <gasps> too. Wait, maybe I do. Maybe I saw it while I was researching this. Okay. I'll have to. We'll talk about it when we're done. I mean, the, the, in Bret Hart with his brother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we should just do a WWF, WWE special. Yeah, right. <laughs> so. Um, in high school, he won numerous awards in wrestling and bodybuilding and really just had unwavering focus on becoming a world-class professional wrestler. Yeah. So while he was training, he um, imitated Dynamite Kid and Bret Hart a lot. And you he, could tell. he was a smaller guy. Yeah, he was. He was 5'11", from yeah. what I saw. Which isn't... Big. No. For wrestling. <clears throat> so... By his 18th birthday, he had started training at the Hart Family Dungeon. Um, it was run by the patriarch of the Hart Family, Stu Hart. Stu. And um, Stu Hart was actually Bret Hart's father. So he did get the chance to train with somebody he idolized. So, Which has got to be cool. He did a year of training and internship at uh, the Hart Family Dungeon and then made his debut at the Stampede Wrestling. That was in 1985. Which Stu, I believe, yes. was the promoter. It was a for. legendary promotion put together and run by uh, WWE Hall of Famer Stu Hart. So, yep. yes. Um, in Chris Benoit's wrestling, you could see a lot of similarities between his... Um, style and dynamite kids style chris adapted many of his moves including the diving headbutt and the snap suplex so and he was there's a term in wrestling that's called stiff okay they were stiff he was stiff what does that mean so like made pretty good contact oh okay so like you know when you're trained i mean uh, the majority of People say wrestling is fake, and can I can I tell everybody? Sure. So Mark wrestled for a while um, under the name Grudge. I did, and he can be found on YouTube. Come find me if you'd like to see the videos, because I will be more than happy to show you. He wore leather pants and chains, so come yes. find me. So I wrestled and was trained by the Lunatic Wrestling Federation. Also wrestled for Midwest Championship Wrestling. So I have a lot of friends that are still in the business, were in the business. Some guys made it big. Mm -hmm. um, so I was, it's, this is kind of close to me be, because I was in the locker rooms. Right. And I mean, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Saw I mean, a lot of the backstory yeah, stuff of it. And took part of, took part of it. So, him paying homage to the Dynamite Kid and Bret Hart, it earned him his name as Dynamite Chris Benoit. 
That was his first name with his initial billing. Um, According to him, according to Benoit, the first time he tried to attempt a diving headbutt, he knocked the wind out of himself because he didn't know how to land it correctly. Said he'd never do that again. So his debut match was November 22nd of 1985, and it was a tag team match in Calgary, Alberta. He teamed up with the remarkable Rick Patterson. And it was against Butch Moffat and Mike Hammer. If I'm saying these names wrong, tell me. Um, they actually won after he pinned Moffat with a sunset flip. His run with Stampede Wrestling was actually very successful. I mean, going over the moves, that you probably don't have to because well, the majority of the people listening to this are probably like, what? The reason I'm doing it, though, I mean, some of them you can kind of figure out, like uh, the headbutt, you can kind of... That, no, that, like, that's yeah. important. I don't like, know what the like, hell a sunset flip is, yeah, but... Yeah, exactly. I so, mean, I figured for the wrestling peeps that are listening. Yeah. Because I feel like if you would be listening to this, you would be like, uh, there's more, you know? Yeah, I get it. So I appreciate that. While he was with Stampede Wrestling, he won four British Commonwealth titles and four international tag team titles. He had a feud with Johnny Smith that lasted over a year, and they traded a British title back and forth. Stampede Wrestling closed in 1989, which caused, I guess essentially caused, uh, Chris to move to Japan, where he joined New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is huge in the wrestling world. It's still going today. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's huge. And, like, wrestling in Japan is essentially like like, their football. Yeah, I was going to say. It's a big deal. Yeah, like a shit ton of these yeah, guys so went to Japan. Like, yeah, and like a couple of my buddies yeah. went went to Japan and wrestled, and you know they do like tours, little stunts. Yeah, so and I found out, out why that. actually. So, okay. um, he spent about a year training uh, in New Japan Dojo to improve his abilities, and for the first couple months, they don't even have him wrestle; they just have him doing strenuous activity like sweeping and push ups and. Yeah. calisthenics and shit like that. He's not even really wrestling. Um, he did wrestle under the name Pegasus Kid and started wearing a mask, which he first hated and then kind of got used to it. Mm-hmm. In August of 1990, he won his first major championship. It was the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. Yeah. He lost that title in November of 1990, which then caused him to reinvent himself as Wild Pegasus with no mask. I guess he didn't like it. Mm -hmm. He went on to win the Best of Super Juniors Tournament twice and the Super J-Cup Tournament once. So the twice that he won was 93-95, and then the Super J-Cup Tournament was in 1994. He would occasionally wrestle outside of New Japan and compete in Mexico and Europe. Um, He won a few regional championships doing that, including the WWF Light Heavyweight Championship. He held that title for over a year, and while he held that title, he had many, many 40-plus minute matches, which is fucking obscene to have a 40-minute match. I I was a bigger dude, and I mean, I I juiced. I I was on steroids, so I was 
six one, two sixty five at like nineteen years old, and I'm you. I mean, you saw the pictures. Yeah. Me. I mean, I was juiced. Up. Yeah. Oh yeah. My cardio was horseshit. So I mean, matches. Ten minutes, Dude, I'd be blown up. I go up the stairs and I can't fucking breathe. So I mean, my goal is to run a code without looking like I needed to be run on myself. So it's never going to happen. So 40 plus minutes in a match is it's tough, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so during this time, since Mark brought it up, steroids at this time in wrestling was just running rampant in the back room, the locker room. Steroids were huge. Cocaine was huge at the time. Painkillers. Painkillers uh, remained huge, actually, for quite some time, even after uh, WWE adopted their safety policy. Yeah, but I mean... All the guys were on painkillers because they, they you were, stop doing cocaine, you stop doing steroids, and everything that's injured starts to fucking hurt. But I don't think people realize, like, the schedule right. of, especially back then... Mm-hmm. In the 80s and the 90s. Because it it's not just the shows that are televised. It's no, five, six, it's, seven days a week. Which are how, called house shows. Yeah. So untelevised. But, I mean, they were on the road wrestling five, Every six, day. Yeah. Yeah, five, six days a week. <clears throat> You're taking cocaine to stay awake. The other thing that I found out Thanks was... Thanks for cutting me off. Good sorry. talk. I didn't know you were done. You, I thought you were going to spit. Um, GHB was huge, too. And I don't, I mean, we all know GHB is the date rape drug, but apparently if you resist the urge, so to speak, to pass out, which is the intention of GHB, it's almost like a quaalude. It gives you a high. I I don't know. I was always too afraid to take any of that stuff. Yeah. But I would shoot myself in the ass. Right. And. Which you can't do now. No. But, and then I'd freak out that I hit a vein. (laughs) Because there's so many veins running through your ass cheek that you're going to hit. Yeah, but, it's awful. Uh, yeah, I I was never into any of the other stuff. No, but, but I mean, these guys really were. Oh, they were. I yeah. mean, I remember <laughs> that there's, I was, I did a show that was at the Hammond Civic Center. And in, in the locker room on the card, there was a tag team. I think both of them are deceased now. They wrestled in ECW and WCW. And I'll never forget, I was in the locker room taking a piss, and one of the guys from the tag team was like, hey, dude, do you have any Vicodin on you? I'm hurting real bad right now. Where is he now? He's dead. Oh. Yeah. Because I have some now. I think they wrestled in (laughs) WE too, but... (laughs) I'm not going to... I shouldn't make reference to drug dealing. Don't call the police on me. No. I also feel like we should stop talking about stuff that makes me say don't call the police on me. (laughs) Right. So, um, in 1992, he had a stint with WCW, which is World Championship Wrestling, which got him noticed for his outstanding skills. In 1994, he began working with ECW, which is Extreme Championship Wrestling. Which the best yeah in between tours in japan so the reason for this was njpw which is new japan wrestling and wcw including ecw they all had a talent exchange program 
So they would wrestle a little bit in Japan, and then they would come back here and wrestle wrestle a little bit out here. And now I think they have that going. They have a working relationship with that new company, All Elite. Yeah. AEW. Yeah. So, so I mean, it was it was huge. Every that's why they all ended up in Japan and out here. And and you know who is who wrestles in New Japan too? Speaking of it, right before I got sick, Juice Robinson. Really. Yeah. Oh, that's right. The guy you I, saw at 7-Eleven, right? Yeah, yeah, and he was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him at the cooler. He he must have been, like, he just, I think he just wrestled Moxley. Probably. And I think he, I remember he was, that. He had his dad's fucking Prius that he was yeah. driving. <laughs> but, like, I was behind him, and I could tell because his dreadlocks and everything. And I was like, Juice? And he turns around, and he was, like, Holy so shit, excited. someone knows me. Yeah, he's like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, man. You were like a fucking three-year-old when you called me, too. You were so excited. I'm sure you both were, like, ready to pee your pants. Oh, he was so, so excited. And then, like, you know, I, I shook his hand or whatever. And then as I'm walking out, he's like, yeah, man, take care. Take care. <laughs> he was so excited. So were you. I'll get from that. So him, Chris Benoit, and a lot of the guys were switching between the two promotions. Um, he started gaining notoriety, though, after continuously starting feuds with the popular wrestlers. He earned himself the nickname Crippler Benoit, which actually became somewhat of a truthful name in November to remember of 19, in 1994. Within seconds of opening the match, he which broke Sabu's pay- neck. Which was a pay-per-view. November was it? To okay. Yeah. So he threw Sabu with the intention that he would make a face-first pancake bump yeah and it's disgusting sabu falls yeah it says sabu attempted to turn mid-air and take a backdrop bump instead but didn't achieve full rotation and landed almost directly on his neck so this killed benoit he was in the back in the locker room freaking out uh with the possibility of actually paralyzing somebody yeah so i mean it's scary Wrestling is predetermined. We right. all know that. Right. Like in, in LWF, we choreographed every single move. Yeah. You know, we would rarely call spots in the ring. Right. Like MCW was kind of different. We Well, and watching the shows now that we watch, they talk about that too. How, I mean, they write it down and they go over it. Oh. Um, all day, Macho every day. Yeah. Biography. Yeah. yeah. Like that's what we would do for our matches. But, um. I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, right. So Paul Heyman, who is talk. actually a booker for ECW at this time, if you know wrestling, you know Paul Heyman. Yeah, um, he, and he's still he's on WWE yeah. now. He wanted to continue um, calling Chris Benoit Crippler Benoit. Yeah. Just obviously. And going for, back to the steroids, too, and, like, Benoit's size, he was small in stature, but – he was juice beyond He was. Belief. And you can tell. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah, you can So tell. he tried to make up for, for his height. I yeah. mean, just like Eddie Guerrero. I mean, yeah. big fucking juicers. So Chris ended up modifying his ring name to Canadian Crippler, Chris Benoit. Paul Heyman then said he planned on using Chris as a dominant heel for quite some time. Uh, before he put the company's main title, ECW World Heavyweight Championship, on him to be the long-term champion of the company. 
in February of 95, Ben uh, Benoit and Dean Malenko. Yeah. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Won the ECW World Tag Team Championship at Return of the Funker. I have an asterisk, but I don't Terry know. Terry Funk. Yeah. Um, Chris was actually then forced. Do you know who Terry Funk is? I think so. It, he's a cool dude. He wrestled for. He was like a Ric Flair. Okay. So he wrestled till he like in his sixties. Okay. Like hardcore matches. <gasps> Which, and, by the way, Erica noticed my Ric Flair name tag the other day. <laughs> Oh, really? She did. She's like, Mark bought this, didn't he? Yes, I did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. Fuck yeah, I did. Um, Chris was then actually. Tell everyone. So it deserves to be spoken about. I wanted a name tag for my desk, like one of those name plates. So Mark got me one, and it has a little clock on it and a nice little, like, medical snake thing. And it has my name, and instead of saying my title, it says, woo. Underneath it, like Ric Flair. So, God, I'm awesome. Yeah. So, anyways, I mean that's better than the bag of dicks you sent me to work. Yeah, Yeah. the candy dicks Uh I sent you. So Chris was forced to leave ECW when his work visa expired. Paul Heyman was uh, supposed to renew it, but actually failed to renew it on time. So he ended up leaving ECW for job security and wanted the ability to re-enter the United States afterwards. So he went back to touring in Japan. It's around this time that he met Eddie Guerrero, who Eddie Guerrero hated him when they first met, called him a prick, said he was an idiot, didn't like him, thought he was disrespectful. The more they fought each other in Japan, the more respect they earned for each other and ended up becoming very, very close friends. And again, another tragic story. Very tragic, yeah. <laughs> and we'll get, we actually get him, into him a little bit. Yeah. So he returned, Benoit returned to WCW in late 1995 and again signed on with them as part of the talent exchange program. Because he was coming back after leaving, they started him in the cruiserweight division. By the end of 1995, he went back to Japan to wrestle as a representative for New Japan in the Super J Cup second stage, where he won the quarterfinals but actually lost in the semifinals. So he impressed the higher-ups at WCW, and then he was approached, speaking of which, by Ric Flair and the WCW booking staff to become a member of the Four Horsemen. So the Four Horsemen would consist of Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and Brian Pillman. Oh, man. They felt that Benoit introduced a gruff, no-nonsense persona similar to his persona in ECW as the Crippler. Yeah. He was brought in to add a new dynamic for Anderson and Flair's tormenting of Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and their alliance to end Hulkamania. Everybody remembers that. So they then formed an alliance with Dungeon of Doom, which ended after Kevin Sullivan started a feud with Pillman. And it was an on-screen feud that went off-screen from what you were saying. After this feud, Pillman abruptly left for WWF, and Benoit was put... Well, there's a little bit more. There is. There is there's a lot yeah. more to it, but yeah, we would be here for 19 days. I know. So, uh, after Pillman abruptly left for the WWF, Benoit was put in his place to continue the feud with Sullivan. So, their and feud... Kevin Sullivan, you gotta add, he's the quote-unquote booker. I'm getting there. Okay. And yeah. Okay. I'm getting there. Okay. 
Good talk. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the feud came to a head after the two reluctantly teamed up against the public enemy. Mm. Uh, which, Remember that tag team? Yes, it ended mm. with Benoit being attacked by Sullivan at Slamboree. Remember that tag team I was talking about? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm. Okay. Mm. So this then led to violent confrontations on pay-per-views. So Sullivan, like Mark said, was actually a booker. In addition to wrestling. He was normally a booker. They put him in the ring, so he wrestled for a little while. And a booker is the person who writes, writes the stories, yes. essentially. So he ended up booking or writing in a feud in which Chris Benoit was having an affair with his wife, his mm-hmm. real wife, who was his on-screen valet, um, Nancy, also known as Woman. Yeah. So awesome. they, Woman. Yeah, that's all they called her. Can I yeah. call you that? No. Hey, woman. You do now. Yeah, I know. Woman, make so, me a sandwich. Chris and Nancy were forced to spend time together um, to make the affair look real, such as holding hands in public, sharing hotel rooms. There was even a match uh, on WCW where, excuse me, a home movie of Nancy and Chris were played and they were, quote, canoodling. Uh, the, what does that mean? They were snuggling. So, woman went on to torment Sullivan while this video was playing by saying, you can't find me and I'm my own woman. She was her own woman. So, eventually, this on-screen relationship developed into a real-life affair. Mm -hmm. It's often joked that Sullivan booked his own divorce. (laughs) Nancy and Kevin Sullivan divorced in early 1997. And in late 1997, Chris and Nancy became engaged. Now, this is at the point where Mark and I found out that Chris Benoit had been married before. Yeah. It's very much not mentioned anywhere. I, I knew he had... A son from the Behind the yeah. Ring. Um, so and, he, and I didn't know he had a daughter. Mm-mm. So he was married to a woman named Martina and had two kids, David and Megan. Him and Martina ended up divorcing in 97, I'm assuming because of the... Nancy affair. Probably. But, but there's, there's literally yeah, nothing. We I, couldn't find anything on it. I tried digging too and there's I tried shit everything. Yeah. You can't you can't find shit. So this uh partnering of Nancy and Chris actually caused a lot of backstage contention with Sullivan. Uh however, Chris stated that he did have a respect for Sullivan for not taking undue liberties in the stage, i.e. not beating the fuck out of him. So in a lot of the sources that I read it said that Sullivan did blame Benoit for his divorce, but then we watched an interview earlier, and yeah. he said Sullivan said that they were apart for eight months, and he wasn't really yeah he didn't super really, pissed about it yeah he was just surprised right that it was Chris maybe then he was yeah. pissed but and that's that's what led us into looking for the wait a minute he had a kid yeah so this I, I mean he's he seemed believable too like yeah he, he was yeah chill in the interview he really didn't seem to give a shit so that's what i'm saying maybe now he didn't care but yeah so this all and that goes to one of the conspiracy theories about this too it does and i which i, I didn't even bring up the conspiracy theories because they're stupid it, i don't believe it no i don't either that if you watch all the interviews with kevin sullivan He's not a fucking murderer. No. And to no. set up this kind of... People, I they don't want to believe 
certain things. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, and this this ending is it's hard to swallow. Yeah. It really is. So I understand why some people came up with their conspiracy yeah, theories. That's so. exactly what I was gonna say. When something is so big like this and mm-hmm. seems so unreal. Right. You know, I mean almost like nine eleven. Yeah. Like You want to make things up because you, you don't want to believe the truth. Yeah. Yeah. It, it fucking happened. Mm-hmm. So this feud between Benoit and Sullivan culminated in a retirement match at Bash at the Beach. Uh, Benoit beat Sullivan, and this is what they used to explain Sullivan going back behind the scenes as a booker. In 1998, Benoit started a long-term feud with Booker T., Booker T. It was huge, and it actually significantly elevated both of the men's careers. So Chris, again, teamed up with Dean Malenko and won the WCW championship and formed the Horsemen, which was later renamed the Revolution. This was like the prime of wrestling. So the Horsemen, Uh, it was uh, Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, Arn Anderson, and Steve Mongo McMichael. Yeah, who, which you didn't know. I did not know. Yeah. So he played for the Bears. Yeah. And so he and still he was, has his fucking restaurant. Yeah, and, and now he has ALS, right? Yeah. But and he has he, a restaurant in Romeoville. And do you remember he, and for people that are out of state, like this is a city that Jamie grew, grew up mm-hmm. in, and it's like yeah. next door to us. But he ran for mayor. He and did. Lost. He did. Yeah. How do you... Now, Dude is a legend. So, you know the other case I want to do? What? Susan Smith. I told you about this one. Yeah. Her husband his was engaged to uh, Mongo's wife. Oh, really? Yeah, which is very weird. I know it's a, it has nothing to do with it, but it's a weird connection. Dude, there's so much, like, shit out here that... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. rabbit hole. So the horseman, like I said, was Arn Anderson, Steve Mongo, McMichael. And he, by the way, he sucked at wrestling, though. Did he? He was awesome. Yeah. Awesome dude, but fucking terrible. He was on the Super Bowl winning team, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I got to show you his bloopers. It's fucking amazing. Oh, my God. Okay. It's terrible. So they were the horsemen, but Chris and Dean had a falling out with Anderson and McMichael. So then they renamed themselves the revolution and brought in perry saturn and shane douglas Mm -hmm. they won the wcw united states heavyweight champion ben wanted excuse me uh revolution felt slighted by wcw management because they felt the older guys were being pushed more than they were which did not bode well for them what Um, age was that 169 shut up i think i missed one though no, this is front and back. Front and I told you. Oh did, dear yeah. lord. Um, yeah. So this this the guys wanted to leave WCW. You already hitting the fucking mic with your paper. I'm gonna punch you in the fucking face. Um. Okay. So this caused the guys to want to leave WCW, and in January of 2020, one last attempt was made by WCW to keep Benoit by giving him the then-vacant WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Due to disagreements and Kevin Sullivan's recent promotion to the head booker, Benoit was like, fuck you, I'm out, and left the next day forfeiting his title. WCW refused to acknowledge his victory as an official title reign. However, it is still listed um, in WWE.com, after being recognized by WWF as a title reign win. 
Eddie Guerrero, Perry Saturn, and Dean Malenko left WCW with Chris. They spent the next few weeks in Japan before heading to the WWF. Now, February 25th of 2000, Nancy gave birth to her and Chris's son named Daniel Christopher. She then continued to manage Chris's career from their new home uh, just outside of Atlanta. He debuted in WWF as a stable. Can you explain what that means? A group. Okay. With Eddie Guerrero, Perry Saturn, Dean Malingo, and they called themselves the Radicals. Yeah. Triple H eventually joined, and they became the heel faction. They won the first victory of the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania um, 20? No. In a triple threat, tri- triple threat match, Jesus Christ, with Chris Jericho and Kurt Angle. Whatever WrestleMania was in 2000. Yeah, I didn't I, write down the number. Um, November 23rd of 2000, Nancy and Chris married. And he actually... Continued to call her his fiance a long time after they got married, which was weird. Why? I don't know. Like, people didn't know. I mean, she had your baby. Yeah. So. Baby mama. Yep. Um, I mean, that would have been better than fiance. Baby, probably not. Really? Yeah. I don't think a lot of women actually liked being called baby mama, to be honest with you. I call you my my baby mama. That's different. I know, like, you don't just call me that. So, I'm just saying. So, he then started a long-time feud with Chris Jericho. Mm -hmm. That lasted until January of 2001, and Jericho won the title from him. In early 2001, Chris broke free from the Radicals and turned face, actually feuding with his formal stable, stable mates. And a face is a good guy. This is where there's a shit ton of matches that I just can't touch on no there's way too much so he then started a few with kurt angle uh mainly pissing him off by stealing his olympic gold medal <laughs> so he then suffered a neck injury in a four-way tlc which is table letters chairs match that required surgery uh he did however continue to wrestle until king of the ring and he was pinned in a triple threat match with um stone cold steve austin and chris jericho so I feel like, so that that was called, like, the attitude, attitude era. Okay. Okay. Like, wrestling was in its prime. And the invasion something? No, that was after. Okay. Um, that, that's when Vince bought WCW. But um, during this time, like... The guys were more stiff. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of moves that are now not allowed to be used were used. Mm-hmm. Chair shots to the head. Were he big. Yeah. And, I mean, when I wrestled, I mean, it fucking hurt. It looks <laughs> like it hurt. They've, there's no way to fake that. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you try no. to put your hand kind of in the way to... Yeah you know, help well, the blow, but and I can't imagine hurts. it feels good when you have a neck injury that's requiring surgery right. and you put off surgery. Yeah. To wrestle in this match. He ended up missing the next year due to the neck injury after mm-hmm. having surgery. In two thousand and two at the first WWE draft, he was put on the SmackDown roster, despite still being on the injured list. However, when he returned, he returned as a member of the Raw roster. 
What year was this? 2002. Oh, yeah. So this was the invasion Mm -hmm. time. My bad. Uh, On his first night back, he teamed up with Eddie Guerrero. And they feuded with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Chris and Eddie were moved to SmackDown during the storyline of, quote, open season on the contracts and took the title with them. The title eventually got moved back to Raw. Mm -hmm. There were 17 fights in between. Chris and Eddie, still very, very good friends at this point. They were described as almost like brothers. Um, Eddie introduced Chris to religion and bought him a Bible that he started to bring everywhere with him. And Eddie was trying to help Chris find his, quote, inner power, excuse me, higher power. In May of 2003, Nancy filed for divorce, citing the marriage as irrevocably broken, I'm saying that wrong, and alleged cruel treatment. So from everything that I could read, it was a pretty contentious marriage on both sides. Like, neither one of them were very fucking nice to each other. So... In June 2003, the WCW United States Championship was reactivated and renamed as the WWE United States Championship. Chris Benoit did participate in the tournament, but lost to Eddie Guerrero in the final match. In August of 2003, Nancy dropped the divorce suit and the restraining order that she had against him. So they're together. Everything's fine. Back in love. Yep. January 25th of 2004, um, Chris Benoit won the Royal Rumble by last eliminating the big show. Mm-hmm. He earned a world title shot at WrestleMania. The two X's is 20, right? In Roman numerals? I think so, Okay, yeah. WrestleMania 20. He was also the only the second WWE performer to win the Royal Rumble as the number one entrant. The other one was Shawn Michaels. So the Royal and Rumble... Now- or Edge. Yeah. Yeah. That was going to say. So yeah. the Royal Rumble, thir- it's 30 guys, right? How many are in the Royal Rumble? 30. 30. 30 yeah. guys. So one guy comes out first, and then they bring in a new guy every 60 seconds. And you get you have to eliminate everybody as they come in. So you to be to the, throw them over yeah. the top rope. So be the, to be the first person standing and the last person standing is huge. It doesn't happen very often. No, and it's long as fuck. Yeah, well, 30 guys yeah. every minute. So in on March 14th of 2014 in WrestleMania 20, Benoit won the World Heavyweight Championship by forcing Triple H to tap out using his signature submission move, the Crippler Crossface. And I know that I have no idea what that is either. So I'll put you in it. Later. No, um, it was marked the first time like at probably not at a WrestleMania that the main event was won by submission. Hmm. Did you know that? No. Oh, God. So he celebrated in the ring with Eddie Guerrero, who had actually won WWE champion that night. There was uh, a moment that confetti came down and they hugged. And the picture of this is described as a picture worth a million words. Two real champions raised hands in front of a sold-out Madison Square Garden. Eddie and Chris were considered two of the greatest technical wrestlers at the time. Yeah, they were. They had the biggest passion for the business, biggest hearts, and loved what they did. They wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. So to see the two of them up there at a WrestleMania was huge for Mm -hmm. wrestling fans and for Eddie and Chris. Yeah. On June 9th, 2005, Chris was drafted back to SmackDown, and he was the first man. Which is, by the way, just 
so people know, like, it's a different television television show. Yeah. So Raw was on Mondays. SmackDown was on Thursdays, I think, at yeah, that time. Yeah, now it's Friday. Now it's Friday. Yeah. Uh, he was the first man selected for SmackDown in the 2005 draft lottery. He participated in an ECW-style revolution against SmackDown heels and appeared at ECW on a one-night stand and defeated Eddie Guerrero. So they did have a lot of matches together. A lot, actually. They, he then had some friendly matches with Booker T until Booker T and his wife cheated Benoit out of the United States title on October 21st. Um, that was the October 21st episode of SmackDown. What year is this? 2005. Yeah, this is when I stopped watching. So, for a while. Uh, November 13th of 2005, Eddie Guerrero was pronounced dead in his hotel room at the Marriott Hotel City Center in Minneapolis. He was found by his nephew, Chavo Guerrero, yep. um, after he did not wake up for a wake up call. Chavo said he went into the hotel room and found Eddie in the bathroom in just his underwear holding his toothbrush. He was still alive but unconscious at the time, but was pronounced dead by the paramedics shortly after. Uh, he died at the age of 38. Chavo's interview is... Heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, heartbreaking. So Eddie died of acute heart failure, enlarged heart, and an underlying earth or I could never say that cardiovascular wow, disease but this word I couldn't even say in paramedic school so there was speculation of him using um, HCG and steroid stanzolol does that sound familiar to you mm, sure right. so his nephew stated that the worst thing that Eddie had to deal with was pills like Vicodin yeah uh, Vicky Guerrero, Eddie's wife, stated that he had actually been sober for four years at the time of his death. So, like I said earlier, he was still juice. Everything was hurt. You know, the yeah. injuries are starting to come out, and you're not masking it with painkillers anymore. So, you fucking no, hurt. And like with the steroids and stuff, it. I mean, we didn't just do it to get big. I mean, it helps you recover. Right. Oh yeah, much big quicker. Time. Even with the the HCG too. HGH? No. Human growth hormone? Yeah, no, that's not what it said. I know, I thought the same thing. Okay. Um, so Travo was quoted as saying, so you know, he fought every day to stay off those. He really did. But they say with Vicodins and Somas and all that stuff was that it gives you a lot of scar tissue on your heart because you abuse them so much. So... Eddie was actually at the same hotel because they were all there for a match. So, I feel like every time we're talking about pills and stuff, it's you're always, taking your pills. It's always time for my nightmares. Yeah. So, Jesus. Eddie calls Travo while he's still upstairs in, or excuse me, Chris calls Travo while they're still in Eddie's hotel room with paramedics. And Chris tells Travo, Hey, man, I'm downstairs. Where are you? Travo replies, Are you sitting down? Eddie, or Chris says, Yes. Eddie said, or Jesus Christ, Chavo says Eddie passed away this morning. It's that vape. I'm telling you. Chavo then said, quote, and all you hear from a guy with no emotion whatsoever, you hear a wail, just a wail from deep down, like a heartbreak. If you've ever heard one, this was a heartbreaking. I've heard one. 
It's awful. It's an animal sound coming out of you. Yeah. It's terrible. Uh, Vicky Guerrero was quoted as saying that... I kind of want to make a joke at this time. I don't feel like you should. Like, even I think it would be inappropriate, too. <laughs> All right. If you think it's give inappropriate... It, like, give it, like, a minute, and then you can make a joke. I'm just... I'm thinking of something. I'm... <laughs> then, no. Now, now is not the time. Which, I don't ever say that. Um, so, Vicky Guerrero said that after the funeral... Chris went back to Vicky and Eddie's house and went upstairs into their bedroom and laid on their bed and just cried like a child and wouldn't stop. He, it, it killed him. It, it broke his heart. It did. Uh, so he's, I mean, your best friend. Yeah. I mean, I, you're my best friend and yeah. Oh yeah. I'd be lost. I, yeah. I wouldn't know what to do. He was lost after that. It's, it's heartbreaking. So he continued to wrestle. He went on to have feuds with Booker T, John Bradshaw, Layfield, JBL, and Randy Orton. So again. Your boyfriend. Shit. No, I told you once he started talking, like, meh. You know, he grew a goatee now. Really? Yeah, you might like it. Man, he talks, though. I don't want you to talk. Just fucking stand there. Nobody needs to listen to you. Seriously. (laughs) Are you going to tell the ladies to check him out? Randy Orton? Yeah. I mean, I would. Men as well, (laughs) since we're talking about it. Um, Chris Benoit wasn't that bad either, so. Really? No. I mean, he wasn't terrible. I don't think he was good looking. Not in the later days. You could tell, like, he was. Beat up. Yeah. So he went on to win his fifth United States Championship and then started a feud with Chavo Guerrero and Vicky Guerrero, actually. And they were... Uh, the feud was over Rey Mysterio and how he was being treated. In the meantime, though, Chris's world had come absolutely crumbling down after Eddie's death. And there was uh, a memorial at one of the Raws, I think. I think it was a Raw or SmackDown. It was both. Okay. It was both. After Eddie died. They canceled the show that night that they were there for that night. And the next two shows, they told all the guys and girls, take all the time you want. We'll cancel as many as we need to. Yeah. I mean, it was, a, it was a huge loss for... But they had the wrestlers, like, give... Interviews. Yeah. And you could Ben tell, was... Oh, you could tell gave me goosebumps just now. Yeah, I, look at me. It's... You could tell he's gone. I cried watching it. Yeah, he's totally it's, gone. It's awful. It's absolutely awful. If you want to watch it, just Google, Google it. it. Yeah. yeah. Grab a Kleenex. Chris Jericho said that Eddie's death broke Chris to his core, that he didn't handle it well. He soon became paranoid and angry and was described as a hermit. He began taking different cars and routes to the gym that he would go to every day, and his personality completely shifted. He became withdrawn in and out of work. Backstage, he was often out of sight, and at home, he kind of locked himself away from everybody. So, I mean, I think that's a combination of both the steroids and yeah. So start you know the brain damage starting at this point. They're already there. Yeah, Benoit and Jericho were actually becoming very good friends because they were feuding. Mm-hmm. So they were constantly together. They traveled together. They worked together. They hung out together. So Jericho was pretty in it, and he said it was just he was a completely different person. So 
at this point, Nancy is now starting to ask Chris to step away from wrestling because of the toll it was taking on his mind and his body. It was literally beating the shit out of him. Well, what else do you do at that point? Right. There was nothing he could do. They said, um, Vicky Guerrero said that they would just find him randomly in his weight room or in the car just sobbing, uncontrollable sobbing. Jesus. So it, it did. It it literally broke him. It did, but I think it's, I mean, the combination of the steroids, I mean, I think, that's, you're going to have mood swings on well, that. Yeah. I did. I think and it then, was kind of a combination of the two. I think when he was doing the steroids and – Eddie was alive and they were wrestling. He was at his peak. He was at a high. And then when Eddie died, he wasn't anymore, you know? So uh, June 11th, 2007, uh, Chris Benoit was drafted to ECW. On June 19th, 2007, he wrestled what would be his final match, defeating Elijah Burke in a match to determine who would compete for the vacated ECW World Championship on June 24th. And so at this time, so everyone knows, like, with the company, so Vince McMahon owns WWE, WCW, and ECW. He's a rich fucking man. hmm Jesus. So on that Saturday, Chris called Chavo, who he, traveled, he was going to be traveling with, to tell him that he was going to be late to the pay-per-view the next day on Sunday. Later that same day, Chris called Chavo again to tell him Nancy and Daniel had food poisoning. Before he ended the call, he said, Chavo, I love you. And Chavo said that Chris was not a man who would say, who said, I love you like that. He sounded dazed as if he had just woken up and he didn't sound like himself. He... Missed the house shows. Like you said, they had house shows that weekend. So untelevised. Right. Um, at Between 3.51 a.m. and 3.58 p.m., he started, Chris started sending out messages to Guerrero and his coworkers from his and Nancy's phone. Um, most of the text messages were actually his address, and the final text was stating that his dogs were in the back and the garage was open. June 24th of 2007, Chris Benoit was a no-show to the pay-per-view event. You know who he was supposed to wrestle? The Rock. Mm, I would fact-check on that. Why? Who are you thinking? CM Punk. Oh, maybe it was CM Punk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I guess I could have wrote that down, but didn't really seem to matter at this point. <laughs> so they they i'm I'm just saying that because he started in the federation that i did they rearranged the schedule because eddie wasn't or chris wasn't showing up to shit so they had to rearrange everything um on june 25th of 2007 chris still had not appeared and had not been in contact with anyone since sunday they actually originally stated that it was saturday but I also read, too, that late Sunday morning, Chris called the WWE's talent requisition office, stating that his son was in the hospital vomiting and he would be taking a later flight to Houston. So there's speculation as to Chavo hadn't heard from him since Saturday. WWE supposedly heard from him on Sunday. So when he called Chavo, he probably, I mean, the murders already probably had One of them had, yeah. yeah. So before Monday Night Raw, 
uh, Vince McMahon and the WWE were like, what the fuck? So they sent the police to Chris Benoit's Fayetteville, Georgia home for a well-being check. On that morning, uh, the police found that everybody in the home was dead. They found Daniel uh, in his bed with a Bible placed next to him. He was suffocated, it appeared. Nancy was found in an upstairs bedroom. Her limbs were bound and she was wrapped in a towel. The only visible injuries indicated that Chris had pressed a knee into her back while pulling on a cord around her neck, causing her strangulation. However, there were no other signs of an immediate struggle. There was also a Bible left by her body. Chris was found in his weight room. He used a weight machine cord to hang himself by creating a noose from the end of a cord on a pull-down machine that he had removed the bar from. He then released the weights, causing his strangulation, and was found hanging from a pulley cable. He also had a Bible next to him. At 4.15 p.m. that afternoon, WWE was notified that three bodies had been found in the home, and this was now a major crime scene. Um, Vince McMahon went on air that night stating that there had been a tragedy. He didn't know what had happened. Um, they didn't find out till a little bit later, obviously. And it was almost like a, another memorial. Memorial, right, because they didn't, they didn't know. No, and they had wrestlers speak, again, give little videos mm-hmm. on memories and stuff like that. So then after it comes out what happened, uh, Chris was essentially erased from wrestling and wrestling history. Yeah. 100% erased, mm-hmm. gone, which I think is bullshit, but we'll get to that later. So yeah. the autopsies reveal that Nancy had actually been killed on June 22nd. Uh, toxicology reports found alcohol in her system, but they're unable to determine if it was present before death or a result of decomposition. So do you know that? No. Your ETOH levels go up uh, with decomposition. No, yeah. I did not know that. So it'll show like a blood alcohol content when really it's just your body decomposing. Wow. So none, when there's... None of the Emmys ever told me that. Really? Yeah. I'm smart. No, I'm kidding. Um, I actually knew that before reading this. Wow. So it's if it's right at that level, it's hard to tell if it was there before or it's there because of the decomp. Unless you're like 100% shit-faced. So, and even then it'll show the levels a little increased. Yeah, I didn't so, know that. She also had therapeutic levels of Xanax and hydrocodone in her body. Um, however, decomp made it difficult to determine her pre-death levels of that also. Uh, it was estimated that Daniel had been killed on June 23rd. He was just starting to show signs of decomposition, but not as far along as his mother's body. He had internal injuries to his throat, but no external injuries. And it was determined that he had been sedated also with Xanax and was likely unconscious when he was killed. Thank God. There was um, no suicide note. There was no note actually discovered on the scene, but it was later found in a Bible that had been shipped to his first wife and his children. His father found it and said it was a handwritten note saying, quote, I'm preparing to leave this earth. Police at this point 100% have determined that this was a murder-suicide and there was nobody else involved. 
There was a memorial for Nancy and Daniel held in Daytona Beach, Florida on July 14th of 2007. And both were cremated, put into star-shaped urns, and given to their family. Chris was also cremated following a private memorial in Ardrosan, Alberta, on August 6, 2007. Now, Chris was also found to have therapeutic levels of hydrocodone and Xanax in his system. Uh, he also had testosterone in his system. Can I, yep. can I be open about this? Yeah. Okay, so he was prescribed testosterone for testosterone replacement therapy, which is a common medical practice for people who use steroids in the past. He was found to have 10 times the level that he should have in his system for somebody his size. 10 times? Now, here's the thing, though. So, Mark is also on testosterone. And when Mark got sick and he went to a coma, they tested his levels. And he was seven times higher than for someone his size. Was that really? Yep. Taking the therapeutic dose that was prescribed by his doctor. So... This does not necessarily mean that Chris was using more. It doesn't. You weren't. You know, that was the first thing I thought of when I read that. Yeah, yours was very high. So, again, because of that, too, many people assumed that this was roid roid rage. However, his actions were too deliberate to have been a sudden act of rage. They were planned out, happened over the course of three days. He obviously thought it through. Yeah. So in comes Chris Nowinski, who is actually a former WWE superstar from 2001 to 2003, who was forced to step away from wrestling due to suffering too many concussions. And I actually wrestled the show with him. Yeah. So a concussion is a brain injury that occurs from trauma or a blow to the head. When too many concussions happen without sufficient healing in between, it can lead to drastic changes in your brain's chemistry and can cause brain damage over time. Now, Nowinski felt inclined to reach out to Chris Benoit's dad. He just did not believe that this was anything to do with the steroids, but in- instead thought it was CTE. CTE is chronic traumatic encephalopathy. It's a term used to describe brain degeneration likely caused by repeated head traumas. The diagnosis can only be made at autopsy by studying sections of the brain, and that is because CTE is caused by protein deposits in the brain that cannot be found on imaging. Yeah, this was interesting. I didn't know about yeah. that. So it's a very rare disorder that's really not yet understood. Um, they started studying brain injury from blows to the head in the 1920s. Really? And found, yeah, found similar symptoms. Uh, and they called it punch drunk syndrome. I've heard that term. Yeah. But wow, the 20s. Mm-hmm. So symptoms can include behavioral problems, mood problems, and problems with thinking. Most documented cases have occurred in athletes involved in striking based combat sports, such as football or wrestling. It often gets worse over time and can cause dementia. The rates of CTE have been found to be about 30% among those with a history of head injuries, but uh, population rates are unclear. So it's still, they're still studying it. There's still a lot they don't know. Uh, I didn't know that it couldn't be found until autopsy because of the protein deposits that they can't find on imaging. So it'll cause physical degeneration to the brain. 
which will show up on imaging, but the protein deposits won't. So you would see degeneration, but you wouldn't see signs of CTE. Okay. Um, Benoit's father was very open to having Chris's brain examined because he knew this, this is just not something Chris would do. He also knew that he had a history of several undocumented concussions. So they go to study his brain, and they find out that at the age of 40, which was how old he was when he died, he had the brain of an 87-year-old man with Alzheimer's. This proved he had a severe case of CTE because, again, they found the protein deposit. So it was determined 100% to be CTE. He had sufficient enough brain damage to cause changes in the parts of his brain that control behavior, mood, and thought process. So years of undiagnosed concussions had ultimately taken a toll on his brain. Um, A little bit about Chris Nowicki because I feel like he needs to be talked about. He went to fucking medical school because of this. He he, Well, he went to Harvard before. Well, he went and got his doctorate in behavioral neuroscience from Boston University School of Medicine specifically to study CTE. Oh, did he really? Yes, because he... He had to stop because of concussions, so. And the show that I, it was one of the last shows that I wrestled at, but he, in the locker room, like, he was quiet. Yeah. Very unapproachable. Yeah. Well, he had fucking brain damage. Well, I'm not saying it was because of that, but, like, very unfriendly. Yeah. Well, he is the co-founder and executive director of the Concussion Legacy Foundation, formerly known as the Sports Legacy Institute. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to solving sports concussion crisis. Like I said, he earned his doctorate in behavioral neuroscience because of this. And Vice Sports stated that he's, quote, the man most responsible for making CTE part of the national conversation. Wow. So we were talking about this a little bit earlier. The aftermath of this murder-suicide changed wrestling forever. Yep. Um, the discovery of Chris Benoit's brain damage led to the wrestling business becoming more aware of the dangers of concussions as well of the, as well as the understanding of the human brain and CTE. So they acknowledged that there was a brain injury. Right. They acknowledged that this brain injury was caused by wrestling. Was caused by wrestling and this brain injury was most likely the cause of his behavior that caused the murder suicide. They still refuse to acknowledge him in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, which is bullshit in my opinion. So the dangers of concussions in sports and professional wrestling should not be overlooked despite Benoit's own accomplishments being forgotten because of his horrific actions. Completely erased. Let me say that again. Gone. More than anything, his story is tragic. His dedication, excuse me, he dedicated his entire life to a sport that eventually shunned him because of his actions that he may not had, have had any control over. His story is an important one, whether it's acknowledged or not. Sorry, so, I had a toxic kids. They're being assholes. I can hear there. them. Are yeah. they up there? Yeah, they're being assholes That's right. right now. So I'm, I'm done, though. So this was the tragic death of Chris, Nancy, and Daniel. I 100% think that... CTE was the cause of this. I don't think, I don't know. I just, his brain was shrunken 
and I he essentially, like they said, had the brain of an 87-year-old with Alzheimer's. Now, being somebody in the medical field and your grandfather, you know how violent these patients with dementia and Alzheimer's can get. Oh, yeah. And they, they have no fucking idea that they're doing it. No. So his brain showed that he had a form of dementia. So he didn't have a fucking clue what was going on. Yeah. How he was getting through normal day-to-day functions. You know, now Vicky Guerrero said, hindsight's twenty twenty. Was he acting the way that he was acting after Eddie's death because he was just depressed or because the signs and symptoms of this brain injury were actually coming out? Yeah. But you can't tell. Because there's no way to diagnose it when you're still alive. Yeah. You can think that you have the signs and symptoms of it, but it's essentially the same signs and symptoms of dementia. I mean, I, I, I think it's a combination of both. I think the steroids had a had a, a play in it too, which I know a lot of people don't and are against that theory. But I think both. I mean, yeah. I used and, I mean, I'm still on low doses because of the muscle myopathy. Right. But... I mean, just recently, we had to lower lower it. my dose because mm-hmm. my anxiety was getting too high, and mm-hmm. I'm still on a low dose. And so, see that, and that was, and what did the doctor say? She said, "I'm the first guy to ever ask for less." Yeah, yeah. That, but <laughs> see, that's why I brought up the. So he had ten times the level that a man his size would normally have. Okay. So he was anxious. He was depressed. He was paranoid. Yeah. And the par- so I'm, were you. I, I, it, yeah. Lowered the testosterone. Guess what? That backed down. So yeah. what if what if the immense amount of testosterone in his system Took was also a part of this? Yeah. I mean, I, I like I said, we've seen that firsthand. And if you don't know, I mean, if you're not in the medical field and you don't know. He's thinking it's testosterone. He's not thinking it's anabolic, you know, anabolic steroids, stuff like that. So what he wouldn't even think. Right. Maybe my testosterone's too high. And I think a lot of guys that are on steroids, they don't want people to know. Right. You know, and now, I mean, I have nothing to hide. I'm not right. a cop anymore. Right. And there's more than half the cops I know are on fucking testosterone, you know. Oh, yeah. Or fucking liars. Well, <laughs> but that too. Yeah. You know. But testosterone is, it's a legitimate medical practice for replacement therapy. Yeah. And until you find the right dose that works for you, you are going to have extremely high or extremely low levels and it does cause fucked up symptoms. And the, I know from the years of abuse that I did and I, I don't, I only used them while I was wrestling. Yeah. And I mean, and my numbers were next to nothing they were next to nothing and then when you got sick after being on the dose the doctor prescribed your levels were seven times higher than they should be for somebody your size because they asked me if you did steroids oh really Mm -hmm. and i'm like no he's on fucking testosterone (laughs) i don't know if i ever told you this but there was one time at work i had i thought i was having a heart attack and they took me to the hospital i had I, I told the supervisor, like, I, I think I'm having a heart attack. Were we together? Yeah. Joey took you. Yes. Because he's like, wait a minute, aren't you Jamie's boyfriend? Yeah. And you said yes, and he said, do you want me to call her? And you said no, and he said, it's your funeral. 
Yeah. Because he knew I was going to be pissed that you weren't going to tell me. I remember this. You had yeah. also been up for 37 hours. Yeah, but I was having a panic panic attack. Mm-hmm. But I that was the first panic attack that mm-hmm. I ever had, and I had no clue. I remember but this. it scared the shit out of me because I was going to a call, and I actually had to pull over. It scared the shit out of the guys you were working with that night, too, because they also thought you were having a heart attack. Yeah. But when I got to the hospital, the uh, the doctor even asked. Mm-hmm. She's like, if if you're on, you got to get off. I mean, because like, you're <laughs> you're giant naturally. Yeah, you're just you're a big man. No. So, a lot of people I think do assume that you did steroids. Yeah. When I hurt my elbow, they did. They thought you beat me. <laughs> I still think that's funny. When they looked right at you, so what happened? <laughs> I got well, into a bar fight. Now, now that they heard me call our kids assholes and stuff. Listen, <laughs> anybody who has kids, let's be real here. Your kids are assholes sometimes. It's okay to say that. Nobody's yeah, kids text, are angels text, fucking 24 7. Well, no, I texted them to go upstairs <clears throat> so they don't hear all the details about this. And then I hear door oh, slam. Right, because murder and mayhem is not a theme in our house. Well, got it. You, you know I what know. I, mean. I know. But then I hear door slamming and shit like that. Like, what are they doing? I have no clue, but I texted Lee. I said, quiet, all oh. in caps. <laughs> <laughs> but for real, though, if you have kids, kids are dicks sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Everybody can admit it. Like, okay, so one is just like me and one is just like you. <laughs> yes. And we're dicks. We so, are. of course, they're going to be, you know. God, people are going to. Uh, why do people listen to us? I don't know, but people are going to agree with me. I guarantee you. Or call the police on us. I don't think they're going to call the police. I mean, unless they hear us, like, beat one of them, which we don't do, by the way. Not that I object oh, to it. I'm just God. saying we, it's not something we do. Um, they're dicks. I'm yeah. Listen, any fucking parent will agree. Like, that's why the girls at Pick and I got along as well as we did. Like, the first time one of us called our kid a dick, we're all like, oh, so you feel the same way. <laughs> Like, it's okay to say that out loud. And I'm telling you, that's how we became so close. Like, you could be honest. And it cracks me up, like, when you're younger, like, oh, my God, I can't wait to have a family and kids. And and then you find out that, that pillows are 30 fucking dollars and yes. bananas rot in 42 seconds and kids are assholes. That's what yes. you find out as an adult. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And then your wife has constant resting bitch face. I do. So I do. <laughs> every two 100%. minutes, what, what is wrong, babe? Nothing. This is my fucking face. <laughs> Can you change your Stop face? Stop <laughs> asking me. And I do. I guess I do. Look, like, I'm not as mean as I look, though, am I? Baby. Don't answer that. Don't answer that. Don't. Don't answer that. No, you'll, you will throw me into the fucking pond. I am as mean as I look. It's okay. I'm an <sighs> asshole, which is why my kids are assholes. But, like, when I talk to you, like, your face is just. I mean, how do you want me to look? Like, smile or something. What if I'm not entertained by what you're saying? Why would I fucking smile then? I barely talk at all. You talk all the fucking time. No, I don't. You start the minute you fucking wake up and you do not stop until your fucking meds kick in and you go to sleep. (laughs) You do. (laughs) Ask, Ask the girls. They know. Okay, my life now consists of being at <laughs> Asshole <home>. kids. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you could research. Not that I would use uh, it at all, because I wouldn't. <laughs> like, not even a little bit. My, 
my paper, the first one would be get rid of your resting bitch face. I can't. <laughs> like, how do you, like, how do you get rid of something like that? Smile. I'm not in a bad mood. Just, just fucking smile. I just fucking look like I am. <laughs> I'm. I'm not. You do ask me all the fucking time that you would think after 12 years you would just be used to it. And maybe your eyebrows. Like, maybe I need to do your eyebrows. I oh, and make on... happy eyebrows? Yeah. Uh, no. Mm-mm. <sighs> I should do yours tonight, though, while you're sleeping. Just saying. We need a little joy. Yeah, we do. I went to fill the fucking dog bowl again today. Yeah. We gotta move that. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Because then every time I'm playing around with Jack's rustling around. We're waiting for when Leah's little boyfriend knocked on the door. I was waiting for the bark and didn't hear it. Yeah. So now that we've brought everybody down completely. And despite what Jack tells anybody, we are not getting a puppy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Fuck that. Fuck a puppy. No. And this goddamn gnat that keeps flying around my face. It's only you. Do you see it now? Yeah. You know how you get rid of gnats or fruit flies? Dawn and apple cider vinegar. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, because we had to do it last year. Yeah. Because bananas rot in 42 fucking seconds after you buy them. It's part of being an adult. Yeah. Well, I you have one person in the house that eats them and you buy fucking 24 of them. Because here's the thing. There are times when Jackson and I will eat a fucking bushel of bananas in two days. And then we'll go two weeks with not without fucking eating one we do feed our kids fruits and vegetables calm down everybody yeah really only if they grab them themselves so So, yeah Uh, all right but this this was a good one i this one was a it was a sad one this one breaks my heart and i wish like wwe would recognize him because i think it's awful that they don't yeah i I, I understand the circumstances and i understand why for a while they they did i get it it was a murder fucking you you killed your wife and your kid but now it's becoming very known and very public that he he had a legitimate medical condition you learn from it they are learning from it that's that's the the thing that pisses me off the most is they're they're changing their policies and procedures and the way guys wrestle in certain moves because of him yeah so, but just fuck you to everything he did. Yeah, that's just what kills me. It like he, he and that's lived. that's what it's, they have done. I know, I know, and it's hundred percent. It's weird. It's Even weird Vicky Guerrero. Yeah, Vicky Guerrero is actually fighting to get Benoit put into the Hall of Fame. Good for her. He should. So, he fucking should. Yeah, she's she's fighting for it for sure, which is awesome. Yeah, I think that's great. Good for her. So, um, I, don't, I don't think he ever will. No, I don't think he will either. Unless. Uh, until Vince dies? Yeah, until Vince dies, then maybe. Maybe Triple uh, H will, because he wrestled with him. Yeah, and Triple H is just a better... Person? Yeah, I feel. <laughs> Isn't his name Paul? Yeah. yeah. And it's the Undertaker whose name is Mark, right? Yeah. I thought it was the other way around. It's just weird to hear their real name. It's like Cash. When I call you Mark, people are like, who the fuck is Mark? I know. They, yeah, have no clue. I didn't, shit, I didn't know half the guy's first names for years yeah. when we got together. But then some guys on Facebook, you'll see, like, a random, hey, grudge. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll... which, again, <laughs> get a hold of me, I'll find you the video. Yeah, 
there's only, I think, like three. You still come out in leather pants and chains. If you think I have not shown the girls at work, you would be wrong. Just Do they say I look good? They're like, they, they, nobody believes it. They're like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. Nine. Well, you were 12, first no, of all. Well, I think, God, that was 2000, 2001. Because I wrestled from 99, like, senior year in high school. I was going to say, you were still in high school? Yeah. Wow. I was underage. Huh? And because uh, in Illinois, you have to be 18. And I started at 17, technically, training. Well, I mean, you're like, Jack, you sure look like a grown-ass fucking man. Yep. And then, um, then I stopped in 01. Yeah, and became a cop. Yeah. And then, now there's a cop who became a wrestler, which is funny. Yeah, and he's making it it big time. And his his chief was a dick, too. All his chases that he went in that didn't exist. In Homewood, yeah. Yeah, Well, I wasn't going to call him out like that, but all right, cool, since you did. Yeah. So, whatever. That's Chris Benoit. We said we were going to do it. I cut it short. Yeah, because like, it, it could go on. It could. On, it really could. Um, it's uh, it's I, just, it's a sad one. E- even if you're not a wrestling fan. Just in general, it's sad. Yeah, but there was a good show on Vice with it. Um, just Google anything. Look up CTE. It. Yeah. Too. It's, it's very interesting. Um Aaron Hernandez was also diagnosed yes. with CTE after death. And his documentary is mm-hmm. crazy. They think that that's where, obviously, the behavior came from that he... And I, I totally believe it. Yeah, you know, he shot the guy. Yeah. He When he killed himself, though, he did it for a reason. Because he was under appeal. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so the guilty verdict wouldn't stand and his kid got yeah. his contract. Right. Which so. any parent would do. Right, right. I mean... Even though he he was a shitbag. But I he mean. was but was he really a shitbag or was he a shitbag because he had CTE? Because True. he also had a severe case of it. Yeah. I mean I'm not saying let's use that as a blanket excuse to you know for people's real. behavior because some people just are fucking shitbags. But it's a real thing and it causes real issues. Yeah. And it's not something that you would really catch, I think, unless you like no. knew what you were looking for. I mean, I, I really can't judge anyone because, I mean, to get real honest, when I was in the hospital on the ventilator, I mean, things got bad. You know, I was in multi-system organ failure on dialysis. And we were. I, I, me and you had the conversation. I, I we, told thank you God we out. had it prior. Yeah. You know. But, I mean, going through, I. I if this I, is I what you, you have to do, yeah, this is what you have to do. You, you got to help me. I. I can't, yeah, can't live like this. And now I look mean, at you living in shit. Yeah. And now we're doing a podcast hmm. that I would like to point out was your idea. Just saying, it was a great fucking idea. But well, I figured you you were the one that always wanted to do it. I really did, but I'm like, who the fuck is gonna? Nobody wants to listen to me now. Why would they want to fucking listen to me through their goddamn earbuds on I'm their way to work? I'm still surprised because like we still get Babe, like, the amount of downloads we've had. I know. So thank you guys. Like, yeah. I but really, people like, like legitimately like they like it. They're not just listening to the shit because I'm like, listen to my podcast, you fucker. They like, like it. Yeah. Kelly was very excited that I mentioned her twice in one episode. And I was like, well, I was talking about you getting murdered. I felt like <laughs> it was pertinent. 
No, but we appreciate everything, guys. Yeah. Like, our Facebook is blowing up like crazy and, Mm -hmm. like, totally unexpected. But, like, the feedback is, I mean, we're trying to be real. You're awesome at researching. You know what, though? If if people go on our Patreon page and they donate or join a tier, I would not have to do things like payroll tonight, and I could start research on another case. I am going to do payroll. Don't worry, guys. It's going to get done. (laughs) Don't worry. So, but you guys can find us on Facebook, Mm -hmm. like Mark said. Uh, We're still under Jam Cash, but it does show up as Death to Us Part. Yeah. We're on Instagram at DDUP underscore podcast. You can reach us at Gmail, um, DDUPpodcast.one at gmail.com. And Jason already sent us. Jason already sent us, like, a two-page fucking list. So, like, we got a lot to pick from. Um, Twitter at DDUP Podcast. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, so I recently made a comment on somebody's Twitter. And they responded, and they're now following me. Really? Yes. And you know who it is? I do know, because you already... Libby German's sister, Kelsey. Yeah. Libby German is one of the girls who was murdered in Delphi, yeah, a case that I am fucking obsessed with. And now I know we will be doing soon. Yep. Now I'm Twitter friends with her sister, which shouldn't be a fangirl thing. But when she answered me, I was like, holy fuck. But I still was that case national. Oh, my God. Babe, the sketch. Yeah. Remember the sketch and the down the hill? Yeah, I mean. I, don't, I mean, your brain broke since then, so you might not yeah, remember I it. can't fucking remember an hour ago. Oh, so. my God. That one's going to be huge. Like, the amount of shit I already know about that one is... I told you. We sat at the kitchen table the one day, and I was like, we're going to fucking solve this shit. And you told me, really, to get fucked that <laughs> they probably already knew they who prob- did it. I and guarantee they know. They basically, just don't have enough to prove it. you were a dick and was like, you're not a detective. You're not going to solve shit. And I was like, okay, well, then bring your detective ass over here and fucking help oh, me solve I, this. I mean, that's the realistic. I mean, being an investigator, a detective, I mean, yeah. we... There's we and there's knew. so much stuff that they're keeping, and I love this term God, close to the vest. Cutting me off, because what damn you're it. saying is not significant. <laughs> yeah, because I don't care about your cases in the Dale. We're gonna solve this shit. Mm, my goodness, you could solve those fucking just, murders in three all days. I was, all I was gonna say was yes, I know. We knew who who mm-hmm. did it. Mm-hmm. 90% of the time, we knew who did it. Mm-hmm. It's just proving it is a different yeah. aspect. Yeah. That's what you get. And there's do. so much stuff that I feel like that they're keeping close to the vest. I mean, obviously there is, but you can, yeah. Which they're going to do. They're not going to release everything. No, they I know. do that for a purpose. Oh, I know. I know. That does not mean that you and I are not going to solve it. I'm just saying. I guarantee it is. They... I I just don't have enough to prove it. I think it is, and I have my own theories. So maybe we'll do that one next because then you can get maybe I'll shut up about it. I probably won't, but that's cool. So all right, but yeah. So um, I really still want the girls at Morbid to listen because they liked my comments too, and I fangirled that shit. We know that. (laughs) So um, yeah, maybe next time we'll take a, a deep dive into to Delphi. That'd be all right. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. 
Maybe I'll All do right. a couple mini ones in between. So. All right. Well, we're way past an hour now, so. Yeah. So we're about where we normally are. All right. Well, thank you guys once again. I hope you enjoyed this. And if your kids are assholes, give us a shout out. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> we get it. <laughs> oh, God. So, so please keep listening. Please keep sharing um, with your friends and family. Craig, thank you. Because that's awesome. Yeah. Like, you guys are killing us over here. It's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you guys a lot. So you keep liking shit and we'll keep talking about shit. Yeah. All right, guys. Be safe. Thank you. Bye. Bye.